I wanted to go immediately told my parents that I wanted to go live with my grandma because I just I didn't understand what it did do for me was I say it is such a blessing is it taught me what it's like to be say like a minority, at least for a season and having more um, like desire to get to know other people's heritage and culture. What are you doing to create your dream life or your best self? Why do we see some thrive through challenges while others struggle? Welcome to Effort, a podcast where I talk about the main Fs in my life that have helped me in creating my best self. Faith, family, forgiveness, food, fitness, and formula. Hi, my name is Amy Ladine, and most would say that I've had my fair share of struggles, whether it was placing my baby for adoption at 18, facing my marriage-ending affair, or battling stage four cancer for almost seven years, it's safe to say that I've been through a lot. Join me as I take you through my story, my journeys, and share with you the tactical strategies every single week that will help you thrive and overcome anything you face. That's right, I'm gonna show you how to create a future self that you'll be proud of. So buckle up, get ready for the ride as I take you through my story and bring other guests on that have helped me along the way. Okay, so today is a very special episode, and I know I say, I say this like with all of them because I love it, but today's extra special because it's my birthday, and it's actually two days before, but this will come out on my birthday, and I kind of love that, you know, we uh, did this right before, and uh, and it's not because we've maybe been intentional about it, it's because my husband wants this to be so great for me that I know he's probably, you know, just overthought it, and just, you know, um, he wants it to be really special for me, so I I'm going to be turning it over to him and because this is the 77th episode i also think it's cool that four plus three that's how old i'm 43 uh equals seven which is cool he um decided to come up with seven questions to ask me so that you could get to know me better um here as a host so i'm officially turning it over to you eric oh happy early birthday thank you all right so I've not only never done a hosting of a podcast, I've only ever been on like three. So this is new territory which, for me. So which if you're listening, you need to have my husband on your podcast. Like if yeah. you're like a fitness one or something, he's like the guru and the old, like, you know, he's the OG. He just never puts himself out there. So I have to do the shameless plug. Yeah, you just gotta give me something to rant about and then I'm good to go. Yeah. Okay. So when Amy um brought this up and said that she wanted to do uh, have me enter well we talked about it together of course but when we talked about it um like she said you know i think it's important you know i wanted to do a really good job here but the, the challenge with interviewing amy is that she is so honest and authentic on her podcast already so that you know most of the major things that have happened in her life already so there's not a lot there's not a lot of the big you know the big things that she's not shared yet so for me, it became a, a quick challenge to think, how am I going to come up with some questions about my wife that she's not already shared with everybody that are going to be uh, fun to listen to? So, you know, the podcast name being Effort, it's really cool. You know, it, it throws people off at first because it's like, what? And then you say what it stands for and it's, it's absolutely amazing, right? So I decided to uh, focus on trying to come up with questions relative to Fs right to the podcast there's six f's though and we're playing with this number seven today so i had to come up with the seventh question which i did so all the questions are going to be based on the effort and what effort really stands for okay so hey. amy's had a little bit of a preview to the questions but only got them today so she didn't have any kind of prior notice i've had these ready for a few days but we we've had a busy few days so she 
uh, hasn't had a lot of time to prepare, but we are ready to go. Okay. Ooh. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So the most challenging question was food. Who cares? <laughs> like, who cares? You know, this is supposed to be a podcast, not where you're teaching, right? And giving your strategies and your tactics. It's more where, hey, let's learn things about Amy that we don't already know. And therefore, food seems so unimportant. So I decided to just use it as an icebreaker question. And my question for you to start is, if you could only eat seven more foods for the rest of your life, what would they be? And I know there has to be some candy in there. Believe it or not, I didn't put that. But And just to like rewind, which I love this about this question, is that food was such a big part of my life in a negative way that I love that you have seen a new me over the years, you know, and that you, you don't even see food as this big issue. Whereas if I was to rewind and think about my former life when I struggled with weight, food thought was massive. You know, it's always on my mind, always thinking about what was next. And then if I had to come up with seven foods back then, I'm almost embarrassed to say that it'd be like completely different things like Totino's pizza rolls, you know, stuff like that. So the first one that came to my mind, I I know, (laughs) right, right. So the first thing that came to my mind, honestly, is because I'm missing it right now is sticky rice. Number one would be sticky rice growing up in Hawaii and always having a rice pot. Like I am missing that down in Florida. And that reminds me that I want to go get a a rice cooker. So sticky rice would be one. Um, Oats. Another one that as a child, you would have, it would have been a punishment to make me eat oats. I would have had like the sugared cereals. And now oats is one of my favorites. And, you know, you, you got our kids hooked on that over the years. And then I would say, you know, believe it or not, protein powder only because it's such a it's been a vital key with me with chemotherapy over the last years in that it's been me getting in more of that in just an easier way, you know, a convenient way. Um, Peanut butter, because peanut butter is life and only dieters kind of appreciate this in that. And, you know, I don't even think I ate any peanut butter prior to starting to diet. Like I used to get WIC, you know, for those of you that are familiar with the WIC program in the U.S., it stands for women, infant, children. It's for people that are on welfare. And I used to qualify for WIC back in the day and they give you a jar of peanut butter. And my ex-husband can testify that we would have like 10 jars in our cupboard because I never touched it. Now it would definitely be one. My fifth one would be, and this is one that it depends on where I'm at. It's chicken. I love chicken, yeah. but both yeah. of us have gone through seasons where, you know, I mean, that uh, season. I, I was kind of sick of it right now. I'm liking it again. And then I knew I had to, I had to think of, uh, you know, of course I went the healthy route here and I was like, I, I'd be sad if I couldn't have broccoli because now I'm noticing I'm able to digest it again. And then because I wanted to be my best self, I would have chose like, (laughs) I would have totally chose the sour starburst. So I took the natural fruit and that was pineapple. But I, you know, if you told me seven candies, I could have rattled those off so quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So that's my seven, you know, that's good. That's good. All right. Next question is about family. So uh, you know, we have a lot of long-term followers that kind of know our story. So um, that's already been shared by you. It's been, it's not uh, whatever. So I want to go backwards even further because um, before me, and the first thing that came up to me when I thought of this question was your move from Idaho where you were uh, born in a small place where uh, the community is very kind of connected to Hawaii when your dad took a job down there and what that 
I know some of the stories, but it was a big culture shock for you. Tell me, tell me some of the and one comes to my head right off the bat. You know where I'm going with this one, but I know. go ahead. Um, you know, growing up in Idaho, I mean, I really had it was a population of 700 in our in our town. There wasn't a stoplight. Everyone knew everyone. You could charge at stores like you actually did charge it to my parents, you know, and they charged it. And it was, uh, you know, everyone knew everyone. And, and we owned a business in the town. So we knew everyone even more. And not just just knowing people, but it was you know, 99.99999 Caucasian, you know, white people. And I, the only, you know, people I saw of, you know, that were black or, you know, in Canada, we call them brown. Um, I was only exchange students that had come to live, say, like for a year. I remember the first black person I ever saw was an exchange student. And so I'd never really been around that. It wasn't like I I didn't have any issue with it. It just was an unawareness. And so to move to Hawaii, where, first of all, I mean, we owned like the Britannica encyclopedias. I don't know why I didn't look it up, but I pictured Hawaii being this place that it was like you landed belly up with your airplane and it kind of just slid into the sand. <laughs> and then these people would get off and give you lays. So when I showed up to, you know, the big island, you know, Kona specifically, it was like, 80% lava rock out there, first of all. So that was like first a culture shock, but then it was, it was the culture. I mean, I, my first day of school, I, and I considered myself this outgoing, you know, bubbly person at the time, you know, I used to say that, you know, being overweight, it made me be more outgoing because I wanted to, you know, make friends and stuff. And that first day of school, I had this girl come up to me on the sidewalk and said, Hey, you effing Howley. You know, she's like, you know, go back to where you belong. I didn't even know what a Howley was. First and I certainly school. was like, yeah, I was How old were you? seventh grade, you know, going into so, seventh grade. Age, so 12. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I wanted to go immediately told my parents that I wanted to go live with my grandma because I just, I didn't understand what it did do for me was I say it is such a blessing is it taught me what it's like to be say like a minority, at least for a season and having more, um, like desire to get to know other people's heritage and culture. Like the number one question always asked in Hawaii, which is so funny is they'll go, what are you? And what they're really meaning is like, what's your background? I didn't even know anything about my heritage. Was I Scottish? Was I Irish? Like, whereas Hawaiians, like they know, like people in Hawaii are like, well, I'm part Filipino. I'm part it's this. It's important and to them. It's, it's very important to them. And so it did make me at least learn a little bit about my own, but also understand why a lot of them had like threatening feelings towards it. They took a lot of pride in their land and they did feel like, you know, and it's a lot of it's learned, right? You know, that racism and things like that come from just learned behavior in that, you know, it was protection a lot of times for their own, you know, they didn't want it taken away per se. And so what it really taught me was to, um, because for some reason, the staring issue in Hawaii is massive. It's like people, if, if they feel like you're looking at them and I was never looking out of like disgust, I'm interested. Like I'd never seen, Eye like contact, I said, right? exactly. And they'd be like, what are you looking at? You know, stuff like that is it they, you know, they talk about that a lot. So I became a very verbal friendly person because I wanted to make sure they knew it wasn't that I was staring at them from a place of like, Exactly. And I mean, I totally attribute that to why I became, you know, student body president of a high school where, I mean, there's a You're handful a of people. 
Exactly. And showing people that, you know, part of it is us, we need to be friendly with all, you know, you know, colors, all races, it doesn't matter, you know, and I, I, I always attribute that to my friendliness just with everyone, because I know what it's like for someone to not like me just based on my skin color. I mean, I had a boyfriend that his grandparents basically, you know, said, you're not good enough. Like, we don't want you, we want our own kind for our grandson. And that was so shocking because it's not something we can control. You know, like I can't change the color of who I am. And so, you know, in this day and age, it does make me have more empathy, you know, towards that because, and, and that it's a learned thing, you know, racism doesn't just start with you. And so it's like, going to try to go back to that and say it was modeled somewhere. Totally, totally. And so I almost like think we should just not even shame the generation that may be saying it and be like, where is this coming from? It's like all they know, because it's what they've seen, you know, growing up taught, Yep. you know, indirectly taught. Give me another story. Oh, gosh, something else in Hawaii. I mean, you know, they have their own um, slang, right? And it's called pigeon. Oh, that's uh, right. Which is, it's so (laughs) funny. Before you do that one. No, no. Before you do that one. Give me the decline. (laughs) Oh, so Dakine is part of the pigeon and Dakine in Hawaiian is like akin to saying what you call it. Like, let's say that you're looking for the word or you are in the middle of a conversation and you'll go, well, you know, you know, she was wearing the red dress, you know, what you call it. And you would actually know it based on the conversation. Dakine is the same exact kind of word. It means anything. And when I tell that to people like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, no, it means anything. Like you'd be like, Hey, you know, later you want to go over to Dakine and like real like Hawaiian, like I'm talking like major pigeon slang people. They'll be like, Oh bro, we go to Dakine. And then after that we go to Dakine and then we, we, we pick up Dakine and people are like, they got it. And I'm like, I understand. <laughs> See <you> there. <laughs> exactly. So that's a funny one. And then just pigeon in general, you know, like I, um, it was hard to understand at first, you know, because it's, it's really broken up. What I learned is it's a melting pot in Hawaii. And so when you have all these different dialects coming there, um, I found myself sometimes even breaking up my English to let other people like Japanese people, for example, to understand, like if they were asking for directions, I go, you know, go to the street upright, you know, like you're not that it really helps them, but you're breaking it up and pigeon just, it's like, at first it feels like such a foreign language um, to you because they're still speaking English. They're just, you know, um, it's broken up. One day I was jogging around with the cheerleaders around the football field and I fell in like a little like divot, like a hole. And the girl goes, I kuriab, you fell in Wampuka. And I'm like, what did she just say? And I kuriab was like slang for, oh my goodness you know, but you wouldn't know that, you know, unless you live there. And um, I, I, you know, I think it's such a cool thing that they, you know, that they have, you know, versus, you know, I'm sure some people are like, I can't even understand what they're saying. You know, I had an aunt that came to visit and she goes, well, you know, people are speaking that parakeet. I go, (laughs) (laughs) okay. How about a shout out to the lifelong friends you made in Hawaii? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm so blessed, honestly, like I look at so many people that I mean, you just don't have that right. And we had about, you know, nine to 10 of us females that all graduated within a year of each other. And then over the years, you know, thanks to a couple of them, Jen and Nikki, I would say are probably the leaders of that. They um, really just made it important, you know, um, it was important for them to stay connected. And I do see that also in some of my adult friends and that they just see that 
value. And I wish that would have been, I know it's a skill I can, I can learn now, but over the years they've gotten together. I've gone on a girl's trip with them. When I got my wedding dress for our wedding, you know, I went to New York with um, some of the girls. What I love about the longstanding relationships is when I did go through troubling times, they know you, they know, like, I feel like they're just, yeah, more forgiving of just, they don't judge. There's no judgment with my girlfriends. And it's It's kind of cool because now that I'm here, you know, Nikki is only an hour away from me and we're meeting next Tuesday, but it's nice. It's just like, it's like, you don't have to share like all your history because you just know it, you know? So I'm really blessed to have that. Awesome. That was a good, that was a good section. Let's go on (laughs) to fitness. Okay. Because fitness is a huge part of our life. You know, I've been coaching myself for, this is now year 17. You're probably, you're right behind me at like probably 13 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I tell your weight loss journey all the time in the context of what we always talk about, which is the fact that your weight loss is not your goal. Your weight loss maintenance is your goal, right? So the fat right. loss is the plow through the mud, as we like to say, and then your real goal is to maintain. You've maintained about 100 pounds of weight loss for nearly two decades without dieting anymore, right? right. So you had had tons of success uh, with fat loss and, and, and discipline and seeing it through. Um, but when you were done, after losing all that weight, you were a very fit person. You did a lot of cardio. You ate well. You were active. You did a lot of cardio. So you were lean. You were fit. But you didn't have the muscle, which wasn't really on your radar at the time. Now, I know you're so different in that you love the muscle, right? You've developed shoulders. you develop developed pecs. you developed back. You know what I mean? All these types of things. So your transformation is amazing, but it's also amazing how it's evolved into a whole new set of goals for yourself. So now we see the fact that, you know, I, I marvel at the fact that you actually became more muscular <laughs> through cancer. It was almost like your chemo was steroids. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it just, it, you actually, it wasn't, but I'm just saying your consistency through the training was amazing because you got good at training and therefore your body still developed. And now you have a love for the training and not the weight loss. So talk to me a little bit about, where are you, you know, your ideal kind of physique self, fitness self now and, and what the transition was for you to fall in love with wanting to be more developed? Yeah. Well, when I hired you, I had, you know, like you said, I'd already lost my weight. And uh, and I started from a place of like no one in my family. I mean, it's not like we had a gym in our garage growing up or I never saw, you know, my parents like my mom did go and she did teach like jazzercise and stuff. And I will say. I look back and it's definitely only for the outcome of the external. And not that that's a bad thing. I definitely have physical goals, but I also have the mental goals as well. And so for me, it was like chasing this external physique. I mean, I even remember closing my eyes and, and, you know, visualizing it, but I didn't even think about muscle development at all. My first, you know, bite into um, working out, if you even want to call it that, was Taibo. I had the Taibo on VHS. And what's so funny is it was like a three-part you know, videos, but I was really heavy and really deconditioned. And I remember like, I thought I was like doing the workout every day and it was actually the introductory seven minute, just teach you how. (laughs) And so I did that. I got a love obviously from there to, you know, I loved the way it made me feel like doing cardio. The problem with that is not knowing anything about physiology or just like the science behind things. When I found you, it was never a lack of drive. I was almost too driven, you know, to my detriment, you know, your, I filled out that form the first time. And one, you'd ask me how long I've been dieting. And I said, 10 years. And you're like, what? (laughs) And, you know, I'd never taken like a break, an intentional break. And two, 
I was, you know, probably, I mean, I know I was teaching about nine classes a week and, and being a part of them, but I also was the person that in the morning I got up and I did 75 minutes on the treadmill. And that was just like a normal thing for me. When I started to realize it wasn't giving me what I wanted because I looked great in clothes. Like I always used to joke that I was like a Monet (laughs) from far away. I looked really good, but up close, I was a big hot mess in that. I remember the journal title. (laughs) Yeah, that was my fitness journal because I really wanted to, you know, like I, I think growing up with like that sexual abuse, like type of history, I don't like, if you were to come and like hit on me or like give me the cat call or tell me I look hot, that's such a turnoff for me. Like I would probably almost be triggered and like want to punch you with my purse or something. Right. Whereas like to me, my biggest compliment to date is if someone thinks I'm an athlete or thinks that I train do you right? remember the t- okay so what what scenario or moment just popped in your head that popped in my head when that happened I bet you it is at Arte Syndicate. We were in um, St. Louis and we were all getting ready to get on that bus. And the driver yells out to me. He goes, are you an athlete or something? And I'm like, yes. Exactly. You were so happy. It made my day because I just wanted to have the development. I just didn't know how to get there. I was someone that like I probably overtrained, you know, according to you. Right. You worked out. You didn't train. Exactly. And even as a personal trainer, I still would say that I worked out because it wasn't until we got married and I moved up to Canada that year because I was really I was tracking my workouts and things. I was going through the motions. And since I was an aerobics instructor to the naked eye, I looked like I was doing everything right. Like if you were to have me do videos, there was very little things, you know, outside of like rowing that you really notice things on. It wasn't until I realized the mental side of training, how much so like so much of it is like putting your mind's eye or whatever, like in the muscle and that I had to visualize it. And so that year I went from rowing 50 pounds to 150 pounds. And that was all just because you started to help me with it. And I think as much as I had physique goals for a long time, I just didn't think it was like really achievable for me now. You know, now I've even flipped it in that, you know, I am getting older. I'm not like super old or anything, but I am getting older in that. I know I will have a peak. And I'm so thankful that mentally I'm in a place where it's just me chasing me. And sometimes that might mean just like pushing myself hard in the gym. Like I know that there will become a place in my life where I will no longer have the gains like that I've been having these last few years. And I'm happy that I'm at a place that I actually love myself where I am, but I'm always chasing this better me because it's just, it's like a way to measure my own drive and my own commitment to myself. And so, you know, it's why the last year, I mean, we've always done these conferences for LBC and, you know, I, I encouraged you to do that years ago because I'm like, listen, there's a gift here. We have so many people that work hard in the gym and they never see like the shoulders that I started to grow through chemo. And, you know, I mean, this year you're going to build me a butt. And, uh, So when we started LBCU last year with the university, it was all about educating and teaching people that there was a difference between training and exercise and, you know, shameless plug. We do start our next one in March. And this is all about the back. Row, 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 you're back. so exciting to see even our own people. You know, I mean, if Nancy listens to this, you know, she'll hear it in that. You know, she sent me her pictures of her glutes. And this is someone that has trained 
forever. Like most of our audience has been training. So that's not even their issue. It's to train smarter. It's to like really see that if you want to look like an athlete, you have to treat your body like it is an athlete. And when you're in the gym, you're very serious, you know, about it. And it's not about like working necessarily hard because that never was my issue. You know, like I definitely worked hard, but it's like working smarter and seeing, you know, I mean, that's why back has always been my challenge is because I can't see it visually, like from the front. So you really do have to focus, you know, for me, my glutes don't really fire naturally, as well as like some people like my daughter, Kamele, I mean, Kamele can get a butt pump like nobody else. I have to stop and really focus on that. So, you know, now I see training as a personal development exercise every day. It's like, am I willing to lean into the uncomfortable? I think people think it's always enjoyable. It's actually not when you really start to see it as like, an athlete and that you're training for an outcome versus I used to just go in for the sweat, for the calorie burn, you know, all of that. So uh, if you are someone that you're like, oh my gosh, this is me. Like I've been working out forever. This is why we created LBCU and in our school of training is what we call it. And in March, we start a new one. And I know Eric has big shoes to fill. Round one. Five. Round five. No, four, four. Round four. And yep. people have loved this last one. It was peaches to pancakes and pumpkin delts, which was like, you know, build a booty no, and build some shoulders. Peaches. Don't oh, get pancakes that to peaches. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> and, um, and everybody loved it so much. So I know that, you know, for this next round, you know, I'll, I'll even put a, I'll put a link actually in our, in the bio here that if it is something, go watch the video where we talk yeah. about this. It's a great one. So yeah, training is a huge part. Yeah. That's what, that was great. Okay. This has been nice and light and fun so far. I'm going to hit you with a heavy one now. Okay. Okay. What's been the hardest thing you've had to forgive yourself for? Because this, we know, is the hardest thing to do is to forgive yourself. So it might be more than one answer. That's cool. I mean, the first one that first came to me was my affair. And it's for two reasons. You know, I mean, one, because I think as a mom, you always strive to just be the best. And I knew that, you know, the consequence of that has been, you know, even even with how it's turned out for us with our exes being close with us and stuff, you know, there's lasting consequences to decisions that you make. And I think I've had to learn to forgive myself because unlike what me maybe people think having an affair you really aren't happy with yourself like it's you know you're you're feeling a void of a place one that it starts with you being unhappy there and then to cope with just what you're doing i hated myself like i really really did yeah you know i started drinking i never was a drinker you know like always all of that yeah so forgiving myself through that i know that that came up in therapy a lot over the last couple years and then Well, you know, my adoption to many will seem like such a selfless, you know, thing. I I still struggle, you know, in that area with not really, I have a lot of shame and guilt, like from that era of my life that I still, I mean, I'm still working through. And I think that's one thing I've had to learn is there is no, you know, end date to it. I, I know who my best self is, like Amy knows who her best self is, but boy, I mean, just a few days ago, I mean, you know, this, I said to you, I'm like, I had a, I, I felt like I disappointed my kids. You know, I felt like I disappointed. I always want to be this best mom. And because of that, when I felt like I wasn't showing up as best mom, I was unconsciously looking for places where I could punish myself because I felt undeserving 
of, of being my best self. And it was so powerful for me. I mean, in the past, that was just autopilot for me, you know, now I'm aware of it and I still struggle, you know, so the forgiveness, that's you know, a very I mean, important. that's a very, sorry to interrupt you. No, but um, that's an important thing to, to pause on, I think, is that um, even for a person who has really, uh, I'll even use the word master the execution of strategies. It doesn't mean you're hundred percent winning all the time. You're human too. And you're going to have these times in these situations, but having the strategies allows you to sit there less for less time, right? Because you, yeah. you're able to, you're, you go there, but you're able to spend less time there. Now I notice. Totally. Well, when I was in therapy, you know, with Nicola Pear and we met every week, I remember like I'd almost start to feel like embarrassed when I'd show up and I'd have like maybe say the same issue from the week before. And she really helped me to learn to, you know, just sit in it and go, Amy, instead of like shaming yourself and, you know, ask yourself what you're learning from this, you know, and I'm like, I'm tired of learning. Like, how much more do I have to learn? She goes, you got to learn that this is going to be forever. Like, even as a therapist, Amy, like, how do you think, I mean, I could easily go to shame when I make mistakes. I, I quote unquote, I know it all. And I still, you know, make those mistakes. So I think forgiveness, one of the things you said to me years ago, and it made me realize it was when we were going through the aftermath of the affair and um ex is struggling and stuff and laura was having a really hard time with it and you said to her forgiveness is not about amy it's about you it's about like it's all about you because those people like if you have unforgiveness and unforgiving heart they go on with their life this is about you healing yourself so you can move forward so that really helps me when i am having unforgiving thoughts towards myself i'm like man what i want my kids to think this way about themselves what i want them to say the words that i say to myself and then that helps me just get up quicker i mean i'm never going to be perfect and i know that the other day my goal was just to get up the next day and not let it bleed into the next Mm, good answer I think that's a good connection to uh, just the, the topic of faith, right? Because forgiveness uh, is very, I think, intimately connected to faith, right? Mm-hmm. And belief and stuff like that. So, you know, you're raised Mormon, obviously, right? And a Mormon yeah. church and uh, really committed actually as a teenager to that uh, practice, for lack of a better word, with, you know, what was it? A couple hours of morning seminary before school every single day. That's yeah, real hardcore ready. commitment. You know what I mean? Uh, a deep love for God, even as a teenager to the point that that's the primary reason that you um, decided, you know, to uh, give your firstborn up for adoption, right? Mm -hmm. This is the right thing. You had the support and, or not necessarily the support, probably the wrong word to use actually from the church and those people. Um, You're not Mormon anymore. You know, you don't, you're not practice that type of, uh, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to, you're just not that anymore. You don't, have those beliefs that are fully in alignment but what is consistent from back then is the deep love for god through life through through mistakes and whatnot we don't want to call them failures we just call them choices and mistakes right i know you now and i know that your relationship with god is much 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 different even though you had a love for god back then why Well, one, I think that, you know, there's a big difference between like religion and spirituality, right? And even though I did have a deep love back then, I think my driving point was fear, fear of going to hell, fear of not doing the right thing, fear of judgment from others. And so it's like, I related to like parenting and we've talked about this. It's like the authoritative parent, right? That is like, do this and do that. And this is why, and this is the rule. 
if you flip it and you pour all this love into your children, you start to see that they actually have a desire to do it, not because they're fearing you, but because they love you so much. And so for me, I think that a lot of my drive to do the things I did, if I'm being honest, was just from that fear. And I think this is why it doesn't matter if you're Mormon, it's because there's a lot of Mormons I meet that don't live this like condemned life. But it's a lot of this modeling, um, whether it be through parents or maybe some church leaders that you have, that if they have some hypocritical, they're not really aligned with what they're teaching you. Like I lived with, exactly. When I closed my eyes as a kid, I seriously pictured, you know, God is like this pitchfork person. I didn't picture the God that I pictured now, which is like, even when I fly off the handle with you, or if I do something that I just know is to be wrong, I'm like, I know God still loves me. Like I know He's a big that. heart. Exactly. And yeah. that is what really changed for me. But I, you know, I had to do it the stubborn way in that I remember just even a few years ago, you know, I told you, I Googled like how to prove the Bible not true because uh-huh. I was just, I was angry. Like I was, you know, I was angry at everything. And I, I wanted to have this relationship that so many people said they had. And so for me, it was honestly seeking it out authentically, you know, like really not trying to listen to anyone else and say, you know, and I've, I've talked to you about this and having like just the conversations, you know, like very casual. I grew up with a lot of like rules and regulations around how you prayed and it doesn't need to be that way. I mean, do I love to respect God and get on my knees and pray to him? Absolutely. I love to give him my undivided attention, but are there times where I'm like in my car, like doing whatever? And I just, I speak out. Absolutely. So I think for me, you know, I can't even imagine like not having this person with me all the time because that's just what it's turned into. Whereas I think before it was like, if I made mistakes, it was like, what's God going to think? I still have to stop and remind myself, you know what? God loves you. And that, that first thought is, is what's God going to think is a separation actually in your relationship from God and you, because you're not sure what's God going to think. I don't know him. I can't ask him. I don't can't have the comfort around that. I love him because whatever, but it's not a, it's not, we're not, we're not tight or I don't have to worry about what he's going to think because like you now you say, I know, I know him and I know what he thinks about this and he's okay with it. He's going to forgive me because he knows my heart. Totally. And when I had, you know, when we had our affair, it was like a reliving you know that pregnancy when i was younger just because it was me making this mistake again and i remember just like not even really wanting to go to him at all because i felt so much shame and i felt like this is the last thing you know and then i flip it and it's like what you and i have talked about a lot and that book hero really taught me a lot which was how would you feel with your children like there's nothing like nothing that my children could ever do that would make me turn away from them. In fact, if I found any love, right. If I found that they were withholding coming to me all because of something they did, I'd be so heartbroken and sad. And so I still have to anchor that daily because it's not like I don't have some of these defaults. I mean, I didn't really find God until, you know, I mean, I would say my first really finding God was just around 35, you know, 34, 35. And then really a couple of years ago when I got rebaptized and it was because I really just, I wanted to show him. And it wasn't because I felt like I needed to check any boxes. That was, it was the first time in my life that I'm like, I want to do this because I just want to declare it, you know, to you. I'm so, I'm so in love with the relationship I have with you. And I want to, you know, I want to make you proud, but I also know God, even if I didn't do this, you love me. And that was like the crazy power 
or in that I don't have to do the do. I'm a big doer. And I find myself sometimes my default is, you know, God, are you proud of me? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, God's proud of me no matter what, you know? So that's been the biggest change. And, And now just having a mission because I feel like so many women that deal with shame and guilt man, if they could just feel this last part of their heart feel complete, because that was it for me. I mean, you and I went through that counseling where she was like, listen, it's like, pretend that your heart is big and red, but there's these roots of black in there and they need to be uprooted so that you can finally fill it with God's love. And that is what I visualize all the time with, you know, daily anchoring is that, you know, he's in my heart. Yeah. Remember that, that, that one magical day we had there near Easter a few years ago, you know, that yeah. tear fest and that was so <laughs> wonderful. Eh? Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Okay. So this next question we'll talk about is formula. And the way I kind of, the reason I put this question here is because I believe that it seems to me that this struggle you were having at this time during your cancer battle um, kind of launched you into what you're really good at now, which is around the strategy uh, and the tactics that saved you your function on a daily basis and allowed you to be productive and not kind of sit into what was going on. Um, you know, thrive actually, never mind to survive, but thrive, really thrive. Um, nobody would guess that you've been through the battles that you've been through based on what you portray out there because you do so well at managing it. But so this is why I think this is a really great question for you is because this is what I see as kind of the launching pad for you getting into this and now, which has given you a platform that you're so excited about and that has been able to help so many people with. So going back several years, you know, I called this in my notes, the compartmentalizing story. So, you know, this is a seven year battle that Jamie's had. We've been, we've been through this our entire marriage. And there was a block of time here where we were just getting worse and worse news, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I would talk to Amy or have a conversation and she's not even listening to me. It's like, we're in the car. I'm like, are you, what are you doing? Are you, are you listening to me at all? You know, I just finished, I just asked you a question or whatever it might be. And she'd be like, oh, sorry, you know, whatever. And this was happening pretty consistently at this time. And I started to get frustrated by the fact that, are you, why aren't you ever listening to me talk? Like, you don't, what's going on? And Amy gave me this explanation that changed me on the spot. And it was really uh, her sharing to me that because of what's going on and all the fear around this uncertainty with the news and the health, it doesn't feel good, by the way, that never helps anything. She had to do that. And whether consciously or unconsciously to protect herself, you know what I mean? To focus in on something, to not let all these other ants or automatic negative thoughts pop in changed everything for me in terms of my understanding as to why she was, it wasn't me, had nothing to do with me. She was, she was saving herself and really doing her best to manage. I mean, I can't even imagine, I'm sure nobody else can imagine to manage these things. So this is where I feel that all these strategies started to be birthed from, you know what I mean? In terms of you had to do this. And then because you were doing that, because that was how you controlled your thought life, right? And your thought life then affected your day's life. And that's where all this mindset hacking and interest and passion came in. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that's when I learned that it was a skill. It was accidental at first. It was literally just to function in day to day is when I would get bad news. I mean, everybody else goes on with their life, you know, like that's just in general. We all just kind of because everyone's thinking about themselves, right? Like we should just start to remember that first and foremost, not in a bad way. It's just that we all have our own problems. 
So for me, I would wake up every day already on like the defense of trying to fight fear. I'm not going to be here for my kids. I'm not going to be here to watch my kids get married. Like, I'm not going to be here for my husband. What are we going to do about this? Like, it was just constant. And since I didn't have the skills that I have now, initially, I considered it like this. You have 100 units of thoughts every day. <laughs> Your units. Love I units. Love that. <laughs> and the bigger the problem, the more unit power it takes towards it. And I was at a place at this point that it was just, it was taking up all my units. Like I couldn't even listen to you speak because I was trying so hard to um, just dim the noise that I was hearing, the fears. And so, but it didn't even allow me to listen to anything else that was coming in if I was having that. And so you'd be right across from me in the office and like you'd say something and it came across at first as just being so dismissive or maybe I'm just ignoring you. And it wasn't until we had that conversation that I'm like, you know, I, it made me even just start to look into more, like, I got to look into how I can get better at this because I think a lot of people, and I had a podcast interview recently on a cancer one where most people don't battle it for seven years. And so I love to share because I'm like, maybe your whole cancer battle is only a year, but I, I want to help you get quicker to some strategies because otherwise you're, you know, if I would like back then, thank God I did start to learn these things because how terrible would this be not to be able to enjoy life and actually see things outside of the cancer. Right. I just had that thought actually, because you didn't do that by choice. You didn't become like that person who was compartmentalizing and going like 2 million percent in on whatever task you were doing at that time. You didn't choose to do that. That was an unconscious survival reaction on yours. That wouldn't exactly. have worked. That wouldn't have been very good for you or for me or for anything if that was your only strategy. And that wasn't well, a chosen strategy. That was a survival strategy. You actually then flipped the switch. And now this, now you have you, well, it's better than just doing that. These are more effective strategies, but you're also the one who is being proactive in control of it. It's, right. it's not reactive. Right. Right. Because you weren't happy about that. No. And, you know, not that compartmentalizing is a bad thing, but you do want to be able to live your life where you're not just so hyper. Like I wanted to have happiness among bad news. I think one of the things that I find the most fascinating about you personally, and I try to I try my best to anchor this when I have really bad days and, and I'm worried about the future or various things is how you were able to, you know, the Bible talks about not worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow brings its own worries and don't fret about the past. Really try to win your day and, and have a good day today because you can't control some of those things down the road today. And yeah. you you became really, really, really good about this. I think about I think about this most recent surgery that, praise God, didn't happen, but it was initially scheduled and then canceled. And you had right. bad news and some fear around a tumor that was growing and uncertainty most people that would paralyze them into right. inactivity. I mean, it really would. It would, I mean, I have this, I've been dealing with this all the time. I've been on this medication. I've had all sorts of craziness over this five or seven years. How do you keep it today? And this is again, where your DAC strategy became something so magical because it keeps it to today. Totally. Right? It's, it's so how do you, how do you, how do you do that mentally to stay away from two months from now? How do you stay oh. today? I mean, you know, my two biggest things, I mean, one, having something to focus on that shows just in this one day how to measure winning, because, mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to win our life in one day, but we can win today. And that actually builds up our life. But second to that is the anchoring, you know, anchoring should be my middle name now, because 
I totally. don't, and, it, and, and what anchoring is, is it's changing your state or vision in the moment and learning to come back to it. So for me, it was doing things like, and anyone can do this with any problem they have. It's like, okay, I, I am, I met a single, actually I met a mom the other day that her, her lie that she's telling herself is that she can't be a great mom and have a successful career. So that's probably a, an emotion and a feeling that she has throughout all the time. So what anchoring can do is it can help you change that state right away by things that you are intentionally bringing into your life. So for me, I started Googling like all the people that have overcome my type of cancer, all the people that, you know, had beat more than seven years. And I like to go to extremes because if you see your brain as like the software program, you need to be updating it all the time. And so for me, it was, you know, instead of sitting in my fear, I was able to anchor these stories or these situations so that when I did have the fear come in, it's like this, it literally is like the snap of a finger in that all those things you've been programming it with flood to you and you're able to go, all right, I don't need to worry about this right now. It's a practice and it's a skill. Like I did not realize how much practice, you know, went into it until I started to meet other people. You know, Ed Milet was one of them that really taught about, you know, anchoring in that you have to be psycho about it initially. So for me, my biggest one was in the morning, most people probably don't wake up like having that fear. I woke up because sleep for me is such therapy in that even if I've had like a fight with you or if we've had something, I can go to bed and I can wake up in the morning and feel pretty good, you know, because it's like it's a new day. But with cancer, I was starting to go through the season where I, when I wake up in the morning, as much as yes, don't get me wrong, I should it was like, oh my gosh, I still have the fear of having cancer. It's not gone. And so I had to start to, and I didn't want to start my day off already in fear. So I have an anchoring practice where we have light, nice plush carpet that I squish my feet on the carpet. And what I did to practice this is like 20 to 30 times you squish your feet on the carpet, close your eyes and go to all your positive you know, wins. I am, you know, this, this is the stats here. I can beat it. So that, you know, eventually the moment my feet hit the carpet, it's no longer, oh my gosh, it's fear. It's like, it's another day to crush. I've got this. I'm good. And doing it in every area of your life. You know, if you're someone that finds yourself having like afternoon slump, I remember, you know, Nicole saying to me in therapy, Amy, do a two in the afternoon anchoring walk, go out on the anchoring walk and remind yourself, because if you find yourself, you know, it's like a drug, but it's the natural drug, right? Because that's being uh, responsive and not reactive, right? You're exactly. sitting in it. I, I did write something quick here before moving to the next question, but um, you know, the formula and all these types of things, they're so, they became almost supercharged for you with your faith growing. So the formula and all the strategies and tactics work anyway, but for you, they became supercharged because your faith in God was also climbing, right? Is totally, that fair? Totally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had several of those moments, but one in particular where, I mean, you said to me, and I mean, I think even just the tone that you said it to me was so important, which was, I mean, are you in or not? Like you're either all in or you're not. So which is it? Stop telling me that you have faith and people don't like to hear that. And people love to have faith for others when it's simple for you or when it's like good times. And not that that annoys me. I mean, we need to have that, but I used to always be like, okay, wait till you have your next problem and we'll see how you do. But intention is in the test and it, you know, it always is. And you did say to me, like, I mean, either you're all in or not. And, you know, if you say you're all in, then your actions and your, you know, everything should be aligned with that. And so yeah. I had to just go all in because I mean, 
I, I can't say that I have faith and that sit there in my worry day in and day out. Right. Exactly. That's just hope. Yeah. You know, uh, wish really not even hope. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, I remember that because that, you know, that came from me being in a place of fear at a certain time and then finding a devotional to go through on stress and anxiety and stuff like that. And the question on one of them was, are you in or out? Do you believe or don't you? You can't be, you can't, you pick a side. Like yep. pick a side. You don't or you do. Pick a side. Yeah. And you pick your side, right? Exactly. What's the point of the other side, really? And and you know, I always say to people, like, it doesn't hurt you. It to changed have things big for you. Faith. It changed things oh, for you. Absolutely. And and I encourage anyone, like, why not ask yourself this? Why would it serve me not to? Like some people are like, Oh, I don't want to be vulnerable to the wishful thinking. Well, sitting in here and being worried really sucks. So why not be the why not be the big believer? Doesn't hurt to believe. I love it. Okay, my manufactured question. We've done six now, so this is what we're going to wrap up with. Let's talk about the future. You can take this wherever you'd like. What's in the future for the podcast? You know, because we're on the podcast here, and I know this is your absolute favorite thing to do. You have a goal to be have a top one hundred po- top one hundred podcast, which is obviously going to be a sure thing. So I know that goal for the podcast, but what is, where else is it going? What are you going to do? I know we're in a new chapter. Tell me about your dreams for your future. You know, I I do want to have a top 100 podcast, but not for the sake of it being a top 100. It's what it's evidence of. And that is impact. I know that, you know, like the, you know, based on your numbers, it's how many people get to see it. And I truly do want, you know, sometimes I've been accused of being the oversharer or maybe, you know, it's funny as a kid, I was told I talk too much. So I'm excited that my talking too much can potentially help just that one person. You know, I got an email from a client of mine the other day that said, hey, maybe I didn't actually hire you for fat loss after all. Maybe it's actually for me to love myself and find God. And I was like, over and then she'll that. exactly because she'll come mm-hmm. it'll come from the place of loving herself and showing up and so yeah. the podcast for sure um but you know i went to a mastermind to speak at was a speaker at it but i stayed and they she did a you know steph did this great exercise where it was like write down the lie and everyone can do this this is a really powerful tool is write down one lie that you're telling yourself right now and then in the next column it's going to be and what is the actual truth you know, let's, let's, let's squash the lie. And then what is the action you're going to take to show that you believe the truth, right? So the lie that I've told myself is I can't write. I'm not important enough to be a writer. Like I can't write a book. Like who am I to think that I'm so important, blah, blah, blah. Right. And you know, the truth is one, I can learn to become a good writer. I can also get help to become a good writer. And Lastly, my story is important. And that even sometimes makes me cringe within myself. My uh, like that, ugh, you know, you know why you are. Why? Yeah. If I can interrupt here, I think it's, it's familiarity. You know what I mean? It's your life and therefore it's your normal. And therefore, you know, when people look at what you've, you, they see the highlights of you overcoming and, and you see, you feel your, you know, our brains are connected to negative, right? So you feel all the times that it feels like you don't win. You haven't won. But there's been so much winning, you know what I mean, overall in this process for you, right? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And and that's really, uh, I kind of just lost my train of thought in the middle of that. Sorry, but. <clears throat> no, that's okay. So it was, um, it, it is, it's our normal, right? We, we think that's what that- it is. Sorry, I wanted to say that. Sorry. So when you, you, you sometimes it's, you, you put it in the category of imposter syndrome, really, in the fact that, totally. well, this is, it's an unbelievable story. 
And there's aspects of the story that we've never even shared. It's an unbelievable story, but because it's your story and your every day, it doesn't seem as fascinating, yet it is. And therefore the imposter says, who am I? And yet you exactly. are, and, but the feedback you get and you, and you know, the, the conversations and stuff give you the encouragement to say, this makes a difference and I'm in to make a difference. Totally. And I think getting that email was right before I went to this mastermind and just, it has been like a desire slash fear on my heart of like, it's like something I wanted to do, but then I'm fearing it. So it was perfect timing. And then what we did was the action was that I was going to write a book and we had to burn, you know, like physically, if you don't have, you know, don't have a fire to burn it, you could tear it up. But there is the power in seeing the practice of like burning the lies that we tell ourselves. And, um, you know, then meeting John Maxwell and, you know, he's like the veteran of writing, you know, over 80 um, books. It was, you know, I, I shared it with him. And I think that's so important. I mean, I did a live on this recently where you do have to share like your deep desires, even if it scares you, because if you don't, you're actually telling yourself that you don't think it will happen. And so me saying here on the podcast that, right. yeah, I'm like, I, I want to write a book, you know, and. And it comes out when. It will come out exactly a year from my birthday. So and what the is cool the coolness of the date? Because next year, my birthday is 2-22-22. And I just thought, how cool is that? I'd already knew I needed maybe a year to do this. But the amazing thing is once I decided, I actually said, I'm going to do this. And I, the clarity and all of that that comes with it. I mean, I gave you an outline of it. And it just was like a download. It I yeah. just sat out there and I'm like, I'm like this is what I'm going to do. I'm like, and when did you do this? Because this is awesome. <laughs> and so I do think you have to like, you do have to declare like the dream. So that's, that's, that's what the future will be. I mean, right. obviously continue to, yeah, out loud, you know, bigger, you know, with our business, it's getting to a place where we can leverage our business. We did say this was the year of give back. And so with that, I, I want us to be able to use LBC and the university as the leverage for you and I to just make a bigger impact with, you know, I, I know I nag on you about this, but you too have that story there that people relate more. I mean, as much as my cancer story is incredible, people relate more to the struggles and the overcoming of say, like just self-confidence and just like worthiness and just feeling like well, I can show up, you know, it's, it's the things that you, when we talked this morning, you know, cancer is a, is a, something a lot of people deal with these days, of course, but not everybody does directly. And yet, like say struggles or mental health or daily, daily, daily life, you know, these are yeah. people, everyone has a problem that's serious to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, so that's what will happen, you know, but this year you'll see me continue on here. I want to come with formulas. I want to come with strategies. Right. And that's where the book's going to go too. And aren't you considering uh, increasing your podcast episode? I am. So thanks to you, and I'm going to put you on the spot. You know, I already do podcasts every, you know, twice a week, but, you know, I'm going to make Eric get uncomfortable too. We have a really big story. He has a really big story. You know, um, I've not shared all the details because I've wanted to respect you just, just Eric. And I think we all need to kind of go through our own, you know, uh, journey. And then once we feel comfortable with it, but I mean, just stay tuned, whether we're talking about our business and, you know, we've been coaching, I've re we've realized for so long that we have so many psychological, like, you know, hacks and things, but then also 
so many people know you as just this, you know, large, I know me when I first met you, very intimidated and stuff. So I'm excited for people to, yeah, exactly. I'm excited for people to see the other side of you and just how, you know, we're going to continue. It's like the never quit. You know, I feel like I need that tattooed is we don't quit. (laughs) It'll probably be watch. Your arms are going to be covered. (laughs) In a season, in in a world right now where it's just easier to quit and it's easier just to say whatever and move on next chapter, whatever. Like, I want to do the opposite. I want to show that, you know what, you can have some really crappy situations in your life. I mean, cancer stats, like most people end up divorced through cancer and that's crazy to me, right? Affairs. Exactly. So I hope that we become the, um, the couple that shows like we don't quit, you know, we work through it. Love is a choice and it's an action. And so um, I'm excited for this next year. And I'm really happy that, you know, we kind of this is like a, a little declaration day for you and I too to just be like, hey, moving forward, you know, we'll look back on this and use it as an anchor to remind us of what we promised to each other. Do you remember that one time I said one day, many, many years down the road, we're going to look back at this little small, tiny cancer chapter and see yes. it as, oh, that was remember that way back then, that little little chapter of our life there, that seven years seems so tight yeah, now. I know. And, And just wait till they hear the rest of these stories. Yeah. Well, I'm excited, honey. Thank you so much for interviewing me. And even though we can't be together physically for birthday, I know there'll be lots of sparks and fireworks when we do finally see each other. Oh, craziness. We we flirt about that all the time now. Like back in the (laughs) day when we initially, you know, we were long distance, me in Canada and Amy in the United States. And we just text flirt like crazy. So we have to do that now to keep our, you know, to have some fun with each other and stuff. But um this was awesome thank you so much all right you guys stay tuned for more to come okay okay another episode in the books and i'll tell you what i am loving this podcasting gig i cannot thank you enough for all of the reviews for the comments that you've been sending me it gives me an idea of more of what you want to hear and my one ask here is this I would love it if you would screenshot this or hit the copy link and share this with people you think would benefit from hearing from me. It's the way I'm going to get my message out, my vision out, and I would so much appreciate it. I will continue to bring episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays with bonus ones on Saturdays with my husband, and I'm excited to share them with you. 